You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Hello, everyone up at the Mills. It's good to be worshiping with you today. And uh, we are in this fourth or third, third Sunday of Advent. And um, looking forward to next Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas. I can't believe it. I know, everybody says it every year, Christmas is only next week. Holy smokes. Holy smokes, it's going fast. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for it? Advent, if ever there should be an Advent to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus, I think in light of everything that's been happening recently, this ought to be one of those Advents. Because we need Jesus today as much as ever before. Tragically, we were reminded this week of why that is so. And, and we realized that Jesus came not for a perfect world, not because everybody was so happy, not because everything was going well. Jesus came precisely because the world is broken, precisely because he knew that we needed a Savior. And if ever we need a Savior, we need a Savior now. Do we not? We need a Savior now. We need God to step in and touch our souls and free us from the brokenness. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I confess today, I need Jesus to save my crushed spirit today. I need that. Does anybody else need that? I need that today. I need that. If ever we needed it, today we needed it. And Christmas Advent is all about preparing our hearts to receive the hope, the joy, the peace, the love that Jesus has for us. John the Baptist, before Jesus entered his ministry, ran around calling the people out of their routines, out into the wilderness where he was preaching and baptizing, proclaiming that they needed to repent, they needed to confess, they needed to get right with God. And he, and he quoted Isaiah's words from Isaiah 40 verse 3, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths in the wilderness, um, a highway for our God. And I, I, I just feel the sense of wilderness. Bewilderment is sort of comes from the same root word there. We feel bewildered in the midst of wilderness, and I sense that. So are we prepared for Jesus to come into that wilderness experience of our lives and do what only Jesus can do? Are you prepared to embrace that new life that Christ wants to give all of us who would, who would uh, believe in him? We've been talking over this Advent season about about the process we go through when, when we have great expectations, but change comes knocking. And our expectations are automatic, are changed. They're changed. And we realize that change is constant in life. And change can happen quickly. But transition is the process, that internal process of adjusting to change. It has, it, it, it has three general parts that we must we must work through to go through transition. And the first we talked about last week is letting go, letting go of the past, letting go of what we had. Change comes and, and, and the old reality in which you lived is no longer and you have to be able to let that go. And that's a process that takes some time. We, we talk about walking through, the second phase is walking through uncertainty and we're gonna take time today to talk about that and then, and then, and then it's embracing the new reality. 
Letting go, we talked about last week, Mary, how she had to let go of her great expectations of this conventional marriage and, and engagement and, and, the, and children. And Joseph had to let go of his expectations of, you know, this, this perfect marriage that he would have and this spouse and his reputation and his singleness and his independence. And we know that, that what he had expected didn't happen. And we know that even all of Israel were expecting a Messiah to be a certain type of a Messiah. And when Jesus came, he didn't meet their expectations. And many of them were unable to let go of their old expectations to embrace the new expectations of the Messiah as he was revealed to us in the person of Jesus. So, so not everybody makes it through change. And in this process, I, I hope that you're thinking about the changes that you've made in your life. And maybe some of you are going through changes right now that might be difficult for you. And, and how difficult is it to let that go? You know, over these seasons like this, it's most difficult perhaps because we want to bring it back. We want to make it happen again. And it just, it's difficult. We, we, don't, we don't do that easily. So, so what adjustments are you making to the new reality in which you find yourself? And are you prepared to move forward or are you going to stop where you are right now? And that's hard because we... The tendency is I can't change, so I stop. And really, those who can change survive. Those who don't, don't survive. They stay in the wilderness, as we will look at in just a few moments. So, so what adjustments do you need to make? And those are some of the issues that we're facing when we talk about that. And so phase two has to do with walking through that time when you let go of the past, but you don't know what the future is yet, and you're in that in-between zone. It's, today we're talking about that space between what was then and what's there, what we were and what we're going to be. And, you know, theologically speaking, we, we are in that in-between space of where we once were in our old man, and we're living now as born-again people, but we're not yet what we're going to be when, when Christ returns and what, or when we go to be with him. So we all, in a sense, are living in this in-between stage of life. But between Egypt, the past we leave behind, and the promised land that lies before us, there's always a wilderness. And so I want to talk today about lessons from the wilderness. Lessons from the wilderness. That's what I think this in-between time is, this wilderness experience and the bewilderment that comes with that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, please. Matthew chapter 2. We're going we're to take a look at a story there that very rarely gets preached about. And we're going to tie it with other... Um, we're going to make the connections that I believe Matthew was trying to make when he, when he recorded this story that's only recorded in Matthew's gospel. There's a story about the Magi coming, the, the wise men as we know them. And by the way, we don't know if there were three or 30. Um, but the, the, the Magi came. They gave him gifts. Remember, they, they heard. They followed the star. They went to Herod. Where is it? Herod gets alarmed. Herod gets concerned and worried. And so... It says that uh, when the Magi had gone, this is after they left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. We're looking at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. 
Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So again, Herod, realizing that he was outwitted, gave orders to kill all the young boys two years old and under in Jerusalem and the surrounding region. How? How can anybody do that? Verse 18 in the chapter says, A voice is heard quoting from the weeping prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Where is God when times of tragedy happen? God is weeping. God is on a cross being crucified for the very evil and pain and hurt that people are feeling in the midst of that. Where is God? God weeps with those who weep. Where else is God? God is in the people who are responding to the hurt and the pain. You want to see God? Look, and everybody's reaching out in the midst of that. After, after Herod died, it goes on in verse 19. Let's skip down to verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he'd heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. And he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And by the way, Nazareth was basically out, uh, you know, 10 miles from nowhere. Um, it, it was nowhere else do you see the town of Nazareth mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, a remote area away from where they might find Jesus. So he could grow up without being a threat to the powers that be. Matthew's account is unique. Um, and, and we don't see the story of the Magi. We don't see the story of Joseph and Mary and the escape to Egypt in any of the other four Gospels. It's recorded here in Matthew. And the reason is that Matthew is writing to his Jewish hearers who would understand this concept of an escape to Egypt and then a deliverance from Egypt. He wanted them to connect the dots of Jesus' story with their story. And they want, he wanted them to see how Jesus dealt with uh, this whole wilderness experience compared to their wilderness experience. And so Egypt, as we see in scriptures, is a place to escape to whenever there's famine, whenever there's danger. As the people of Israel went to Egypt in the time of Joseph because of the famine in the land, uh, that was a place of rescue. It was a place of, of uh, temporary uh, salvation for them. But it, Egypt is not their home. The promised land is their home. The problem with Israel of old was they made Egypt their home. 
Therefore, that became a place of enslavement for him. And the, the, the point there is when you camp away from the destination that God has for you, when you camp out in a place outside of God's will, that place, though it may be a temporary place of refuge for you, will always enslave you. It will enslave you. And that's what happened to Egypt because it wasn't, it became their home and they became enslaved there. Egypt is not our home. God wants us to be set free from the bondage that comes when we camp out in Egypt because God has a better place for you. But, but, but understand this, between Egypt, that place of bondage, and the promised land, that place of freedom, there's a wilderness. There's a wilderness. It's a desert. It's a deserted place. Now, little is written about Jesus' childhood. We, we don't know how long he was in Egypt with Mary and Joseph. But we know that he was only a young boy when they returned to Nazareth because Luke tells a story about when he was 12 years old and they traveled from Nazareth down to the temple in Jerusalem for uh, the ceremony there when Jesus was left in the temple and he was reading from the scroll, if you remember that story. So, or he, they found him there in the temple about his father's business. That's what that, that, that account was. And... And, uh, and so we know that when he was a young boy, he came back. But as Matthew goes on to tell us the story of Jesus coming back, then Matthew 3, he jumps right from Jesus' childhood and they return to Nazareth. And then, boom, Matthew chapter 3, he jumps right into Jesus' adulthood. But he begins with the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as I said earlier, was calling people into the desert, out from their cities, out from their towns, out to a place where they had to get away from it all. There they were to confess their sins and repent and turn back to God, and he would baptize them as a baptism of repentance, saying, we got to turn around. We need to make a change. It was calling them to change the way they live, change the way they see the world around them and the way they act and behave so let's go let's get baptized and bury the old person let's get you know come out of the water and say we're going to live a new life now that's what baptism and confession was all about for John the Baptist and so he was calling them repent for the kingdom of heaven is near prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him quoting from Isaiah and so they went there to be baptized and and then the story in Matthew's gospel goes right into Jesus coming to be baptized. And he came from Galilee down to the area where the Dead Sea was, probably around that area in southern Judea. From the north is Galilee, south is, is, is Jerusalem and Judea. And so Jesus travels down there to be baptized by John. And there, remember, the, dove falls, or the Holy Spirit falls on him like a dove. And the voice speaks out, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And, um, and Jesus then is initiated into his ministry. But the first thing that happens is what? The Spirit led him where? To the wilderness to be tempted. So you see how the wilderness plays in all of these accounts here. 
and how in Matthew's gospel, he wants the people to see that Jesus had his wilderness experience also. And we know when Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness, he faced down the temptations of the devil, quoting scripture, not giving in to the the grand schemes of the enemy to sell his soul, to do the Faustian selling of his soul, to have power, to have prestige, to have all that... That, was temp- that he was tempted to have. He faced it down and he defeated the devil in the wilderness and then he entered into his ministry. The miraculous, the teachings, uh, the, the, the facing down, the religious hypocrisies of his day and on and on. But Jesus was led, verse, chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 1, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, so let's just, today all I want to do is make some observations about the wilderness And speaking metaphorically in our case of that wilderness for us, what are the lessons that we need to learn in this in-between time of letting go of the past, whether it is our Egypt, uh, our former life, or whatever change that comes, and it's not, you know, uh, change is not always bad. Sometimes it is, but whatever it is, we still need to adjust to it. So they need to let go of Egypt, and they went through the wilderness Jesus let go of his childhood, his, his young adulthood. He was baptized. He let go and began a new life. And he went through the, the wilderness and faced the, the temptation of Satan by then. So, number one, I think we can all agree that the wilderness is a scary place. Right? It's a scary place when, you, when everything you are used to is all of a sudden no longer there. Or something that you had has been taken away from you. Or a change is made that you don't like. And something goes on that you're not comfortable with. And all of a sudden, you feel afraid. The wilderness is a scary place. One writer said, It's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old, old ways. But it's that place between that we fear. It's like being between trapezes where you let go of the one trapeze and you're in midair and you haven't yet grasped a hold of the new trapeze. That's that feeling there. It's, it's Linus when his blanket is in the dryer and he doesn't have it. You're, he's afraid because his, his, his comfort isn't there and there's nothing for him to hold on to. It's puberty. it's letting go of the childhood and your innocence and the comfort of your home and security of everything being provided for you and and then it seems like middle school comes i i i i always quote uh tony campola who once said you know what I never used to believe in purgatory, but he said, now I do believe in purgatory, and it's junior high school. That's purgatory. It's that place between where you're a child and where you're an adult, and so much change is happening inside and outside and sociologically and hormonally and physiologically, and in those years, it is a scary place junior high middle school is the wilderness it is it's that in between time and just when we're able to let go of the past 
just went, okay, I'm no longer a child, no longer in, in that place where I was before, you realize that it's a long way to the new future. It doesn't happen overnight. God dramatically and astoundedly delivered the people through the Red Sea in the time of, of, of Moses. And then, he, you know, when they came across the Red Sea, Moses and Miriam, they, they had this great celebration. We're free, we're free, you know, and they sing, you know, I will sing unto the Lord that uh, we has triumphed gloriously. Remember the horse and the rider thrown into the sea and, and they, they rejoice, they celebrate the goodness of God. But you know, they were a long way from the promised land. Now, geographically, they were not. Spiritually, they were very far away from the promised land. And, and, and so they went into the desert and, and went for a few days without water. And then all of a sudden, they come to the waters of Mara. But the waters of Mara were bitter. It was, it was brackish. It was undrinkable. And Moses cries out to God. And God gives him a plan. And he throws wood in the water. And the water turns sweet. And they drink it. And God says, you know what? If you obey me, just if you just listen to me, I'll take good care of you. That'll be really great. And that's wonderful. And they believed it. And they saw it happen. So they go from there. And they camp out in this desert oasis of Elam for a few days. And then they're still not in Canaan. They can't stay in the wilderness forever. So they move on from there. And they go a few more days. And all of a sudden, they're back in the wilderness, and they're in the desert, and the people start grumbling. And exactly one month after crossing the Red Sea, the people were complaining to Moses, saying, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. And you know it wasn't as easy as that, but rose-colored glasses are always looking backwards, you know. Um, and so, so they're saying how wonderful it was, but we have br you brought us into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And all of a sudden, they're in this scary place and they turn on one another. Right? They turn on one another. Do you know there's a lot of anger that is expressed that is really not the root problem, Anger is always a secondary emotion. Anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is a result of one of three things. People are either afraid, or they've been hurt, or they're frustrated. So when you feel anger rather than lash out, ask yourself, okay, what am I afraid of here? Or who hurt me? Or how am I feeling hurt? Or what's frustrating me? Deal with the source of the problem. Don't take your anger out. And that's what was going on here. They're, they're facing some tough times. They turn, they're afraid. They turn on one another. Why? Because the wilderness is a scary place. Uncertainty about the future causes anxiety. And, and when you're anxious, when you're afraid, you lash out. And so when following Jesus gets difficult, when you leave your old life behind and you're in that in-between time, you're not in heaven yet and you still face the troubles that Jesus said we would still face in this world. Sometimes we get angry at Jesus. We get mad at the people around us. We want to walk out on our faith. We want to go back to Egypt because life isn't as easy as we thought it would be when we, came, when we, when we decided to follow Jesus. 
And we're in that in-between time. That's the wilderness that we start to grumble and we, and we want to turn back and we wish we had the old way even, even if we know we can't go back there. Because in the wilderness, we want answers. In the, in, in, in the wilderness, we get all kinds of mixed signals. If you're in an organization that makes a change, when people are going through change, an organization gets bought out by a new organization or somebody you know, changes locations, there's all kinds of issues that arise in that organization whenever changes are made. Productivity suffers. Uh, motivation fail, fa- uh, begins to fail and, or falls and old habits um, kind of emerge and people polarize and as Moses did in the, in, in, in the wilderness he faced uprisings time and time again by people I think that a lot of the polarization we feel in our country right now is precisely because of the economic problems that we're facing if we didn't have these economic problems, I don't think we would be as polarized as we are. But because of the fear that we have, we turn on one another. And it's that fear of the uncertainty that creates that kind of animosity between two different viewpoints of how we get from here to there. So when you go through change, even good change, it's scary. Emotions are raw, and it's always a difficult time. So, so that's the first thing about lessons from the wilderness. It's a scary place. Second thing is this. Second thing is this. Traversing the wilderness always takes longer than you expect. It always takes longer than you expect. Somebody said you don't. One doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Can you imagine when the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria saw the horizon fall behind them? How long did it take them to cross? Anybody know? Any historians? Too long. (laughs) Too long. Yeah, I mean, mutinies were not uncommon in those days because of the fear and anxiety that people faced when they would go through those times of uncertainty, that in-between time. The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness to traverse a land mass that could have taken a week to traverse. And they spent 40 years there because they had a lot to learn. They had a lot of lessons. And it's not because they were lost It's because the old generation had to die off. And that's so sad. The people who knew Egypt had to all die before they could go into the promised land. God help us. God help us. Help us to be the people that can move forward even as we grow older. Help us to be that kind of a people that don't get stuck in the past because we can't change. And it's so hard. It's so hard to do that. When change comes knocking, the transition to our new reality doesn't happen overnight. The former ways of thinking and the great expectations of the past that were functional then They have to die before you can be ready for the new life and the new reality that you enter into. You guys remember, it wasn't that long ago where you could go out to the airport and go right to the gate. Do you remember that? I mean, man, 
You could you go out there and wait for your loved ones to, and you could do some shopping in the mall while you did that out there. And you didn't have to, you know, basically strip down before TSA agents to go through security to get on an airplane. Um, that change happened quickly, but the transition to that has taken time. I still, I still don't like it. I understand why, and we got to do it, but I don't, I don't like it, right? I don't like that we have to do it. I wish we could go back to the old ways, but change happens, and you got to adjust to the change. So you go earlier now. You got to be there two hours, an hour and a half before your flight. So you think twice about flying nowadays. You want to drive if it's going to take you that long anyhow. Right? And so that's just one example of, of, of change that happens and it takes time to adjust to change. And that's, you know, that's like, that's a necessary change. I, I, I think it's a good change because it is solving one problem, but you solve one problem, you create other problems. And every change is going to have a mixture of solving some problems by creating new problems. One question I always ask couples before they're married is, so what problems are you solving by getting married? And, uh, oh, we can't wait to live together. We can't wait. It's going to be great. Get out of my mom and dad's house. Or we can move in and merge. And it's all, you know, these. So, okay, that's good. Now, what problems are you creating by getting married? Oh, nothing. No, no problem. Piece of cake. It's all... You know, it's all gravy when we get married. <laughs> you know, wrong answer. They hear the buzzer go off and they have to rethink that one. You solve some problems by getting married and you create new problems by getting married. So hopefully it's worth it all. <laughs> and I believe that in the right situation, it is for sure. There's a reason it takes time for transition. There's a reason it takes time for transition. Somebody said it takes nine months to have a baby no matter how many people you put on the job. <laughs> that baby has to form. The new idea, the new reality, the new understanding, the new mindset has to form in us in order for us to be able to embrace the new reality when it is there. So it must take time. It takes time. The wilderness is a frightening and a confusing place. It takes longer than we expect. But that's not wasted time. And here's the thing that I want to, I want to end on this point is this, that the wilderness is the most important time. Because it's there in the wilderness that we become the new reality. It's, it's the wilderness breeds creativity. Creativity and creation come from the same word. The scripture says, anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. The old life is gone. The new has come. In another version, it says that, that we're a new creation. We're a new creation. How many of you think that happens overnight? No, it's a process. Yes, we're saved, sanctified in the eyes of God overnight. We're forgiven but I confess, there's still change having to take place in my life. That this transformation process takes time. And it's in that wilderness that we are most 
able to change because necessity is the mother of invention. And it's only when the old life is taken away from you that you need to learn how to live in the new reality. And learning a new way of living, a new way of thinking takes time for those connections in your brain to get rewired, for your understanding of the world around you to be rewired. And, and it takes time for that to happen. Moses learned to be a better leader when he was in the wilderness. It was there that, you know, Moses being, you know, uh, the, the strong leader that he was, though he didn't feel that he was a humble person, he felt like he had to be everybody's answer man. And so when everybody had problems, they came to Moses and he became the judge. He was the, he was the leader. He was the commander. He was, he was everything. And they would bring their disputes to him. And it was there that his, his father-in-law, Jethro, uh, the first leadership consultant in history, came to him and said, you know, Moses, I have a word from the Lord from you. If you want to get into the promised land, you can't do it all by yourself. You need to delegate some authority to others. You need to set other people up in place and release them to lead too. That's a great paraphrase, but that's basically what he was told. The wilderness is a place where you either change or you die. So it's in the wilderness where we change. It's there where we adjust. It's there where we understand that we have to change if we're going to adapt to the new reality. So the wilderness necessitates creativity, experimenting with new things, brainstorming new ideas, understanding new ways of perceiving the realities around us. And so attitude adjustments have to take place in the wilderness. And one of the attitudes that have to take place in the wilderness is the attitude from this is a trial to this is an opportunity. It, it has to shift from this is a loss to this is a gain. This has to shift from this is an inconvenience to me to this is now an adventure that I am on. And that mind shift is everything for us. G.K. Chesterton said, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly understood. An inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly understood. So is this a problem or is this an opportunity? And when we have to shift, when we can shift from a problem to an opportunity, that's when we are most able to change to the new reality and make it through that. In the wilderness, it was where Israel discovered who they were and who God was. It was there where Mount Sinai was that Moses went and they heard from God and they received their, their, their identity. They received their mode of worship. They received, they are no longer slaves. Now they are God's people. They are no longer in bondage. Now they are free. They are no longer worshiping the idols of Canaan and the calves. Although they tried to go back there, they are now worshiping the one and only true God. And that's there that they became monotheistic people believing in the one true God as God revealed himself to them. Israel got a new identity. And it was there in the wilderness that Jesus conquered the devil. It was there where Jesus faced down the temptations. You know, when you give in to temptation all the time, you're really not tempted, are you? It's not temptation whenever you give in to your lust and your cravings and your desires. That's not, 
well, I was tempted. No, you, you, you don't, you're not tempted. At that, you give in to your temptation. It's when you say that I'm no longer going to give in to that that the temptation rages. It's then that you have to face it down. It's after you are, are, are set free. It's after you break the bondage. It's after you walk out of that old life that you will most face the temptation. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that a new mindset is the way to do that. And we have to do that by a miracle of God giving us this new repentant worldview. And it, it can happen, but it's still that thing where we need to walk in the newness of life, not in the old ways. So, so it's there in the, in the wilderness that, that, that we are recreated. We find ourselves. We find out what we're made of. We find out what God makes us into. It's only in the tough times in the wilderness experiences that we most grow, that we most become ourselves as God wanted us to be. It's only in the wilderness experiences of life that we are most formed by God into the new person that God wants us to be. So it's that wilderness time where God creates a new person inside of us. So that's what we're talking about in this change, this idea that when change comes knocking, it's the space between the old and the new, and it's a scary time. And it always takes longer than we want, and it's a testing time. But it's a necessary place to meet with God. It's the place where we face down our fears and temptations by the power of God. It's where God transforms and recreates us and shapes us and conforms us. But you know what? You don't have to change. You can stay where you are. And you can die in the wilderness. Or you can change. And you can become the new person that God wants you to be and face the new realities and let this problem become an opportunity. So last week we talked about the things that we need to let go. You know, today we're, we're talking about making the most of uncertainty in that scary in-between time. So what is that current wilderness that you're facing? Perhaps you're aging, you've got to go through retirement and you don't know how to do that. And maybe it's not that you have to quit being active, but the job ends when you hit a certain age and you, it's beyond your, maybe you've made that transition and you can't wait, but then there's still old things that you're holding on to that are, that are hard for you. It's, where are you? Maybe you're going through adolescence. And let me just say to you, or, or <laughs> the, you're in middle school right now, um, You'll survive. You'll make it. Maybe you're in college and man, I'm, I'm leaving home. I'm in this transition time of four years, five, six, seven, eight years, whatever your college experience is. <laughs> um, but then there's a new reality for you waiting. And how do you let go of the old, you know, Letting go of the high school is one thing. Then it's letting go of college. And maybe it's letting go of singleness. Or maybe it's letting go of your dreams of not being single. We all face those times. Those wilderness wanderings. 
Do you believe God's there in the midst of the wilderness? Do you believe God wants to meet you in your wilderness? Yeah. Yeah. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for shifts in attitude, shifts in thinking, new understandings, new ways to do things, new ways to, new things that we need to accept, old things we need to let go of. And, and I just believe that uh, we need God to help us in all of that. Can you bow your head with me, please? Let's just, let's just go into our wilderness experience for a moment right now. Where is that wilderness that you're in? And ask yourself, is it still the scary place for you that it once was? Is it, is it a place where you're, um, all those emotions are raw and you're fighting it and it's so difficult? And that's, that's normal. I understand, that's, that's, that's normal. Maybe you're battling temptation in ways that you didn't know that you had to battle it. And, and, and that's normal. But are you, are you able to let God meet you there? Are you able to find God out in the midst of the wilderness? Can God be that oasis for you even right now, a temporary oasis in the wilderness? Because you know you're not quite to the promised land yet, but you need a refuge. You need a, you need a refreshing time. And right now might be that time for you. Lord, I, I pray for all of us that go through those times. And, you know, you, sometimes we think we're beyond the wilderness and then all of a sudden we get thrown right back into it. Um, meet us in the midst of this wilderness that we're in right now. Jesus, I, we confess we, we don't like letting go. And maybe you could just say that right now. Just say, Jesus, I, I don't like to let go. I confess. But I need to. I need to, and, and I, I need your help. I need your help. I need you to meet me here. I need to know that I'm not alone in this, and so help me and, and teach me. Teach me how to live in, in the future that you have for me, and help me to see that there are opportunities that I have now, and may I face it with, with, with eager, joyful anticipation rather than regret and gloom. Help me, Jesus, I pray. Take us, Lord, wherever we are in this wilderness and move us a little bit further to the place where you want us to be today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.